The subtle orange glow of firelight far below illuminates the forest canopy, causing the young priestess to mutter and swear. Though it is late spring, at her elevation, the high forest of elven kind is frigid indeed. She wraps a woolen cloak over herself, passing by a half-empty glass of firewine, coated in a thin sheen of dew or frost. Below her, the sounds of drinking and revelry echo through the massive pines, though she does her best to shut them out. With a sigh, she places her hand on the silvery half-moon hanging from a thin cord around her neck. It's cold to the touch, but she feels the warmth of saloon suffuse her soul. She paces back across the treetop platform, taking her seat beneath a machine of glass and metal. Supplied to her by a dwarven star scholar, the man swore he was from another world and that this device would allow her to see worlds like his. On this night, she takes her place before the eyepiece of the iron machine, raising her hand to adjust a small knob on its neck. She blindly reaches half-heartedly for the glass of firewine, but barely notices when it goes crashing off the table and shatters on the oaken floor. Her eyes widen, refocusing the lens to confirm her dreadful discovery. Oozing forth from one of Saloon's blessed and beautiful tears is the bloated form of a hideous, oily blot. Oblong like a swollen grub, the brackish tumor bleeds out from the sacred celestial body like an infection. With a shriek, the priestess rushes down the stairs. They must know about this terrible omen. All their lives could be in terrible danger. It's such evil overhead. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> the evil overhead is us. <laughs> meanwhile, 220,000 miles from Toril, on the hideous oily blot known as the Rock Brawl. <laughs> at one end of the bar, a levitating bottle of glowing neon orange liquor fills a row of shot glasses before a dozen or so mischievous looking lizard folk teens. <laughs> They share elbow space with a bearded hippo-like man, his chest hair a plume of shock white, over his tight-fitting olive green uniform, strained by the way he leans over his glass of whiskey. On the opposite end are a pair of young lovers, their face tentacles wrapped around each other, making wet slurping sounds as they disregard the complex cocktails being painstakingly crafted on their behalf by the floating glassware nearby. The rest of the laughing beholder tavern is packed as well, with only the finest filth gathered from all over the stars, washed in a sea of violet light and a haze of smoke and the pounding bass of live music. Behind the bar floats the tavern's many-eyed caretaker and namesake, Large Luigi, his telekinesis <laughs> ray, earning him a slew of tips pouring in from all over the bar. This is, without a doubt, the best and worst place to get drunk on the rock brawl. <laughs> this is uh, where you find yourselves, mm. inside of this mm. tavern. The music pounds and everyone's having a great time and... There's a whole bunch of youngsters in here drinking underage, but it's space, so nobody cares. International waters and whatnot. That's right, and you're being fed some international waters in your glassware. Nice! <laughs> and it is, uh, I got more flavor decks actually. It is in the laughing beholder that you find yourself on this night, the room awash in a dreamy pale blue glow from the sixth tier of saloon just outside the window. Or, as the spell jamming folk call it, that place where that dumbass Karak flew into an asteroid. <laughs> or, Kerox Junk Dungeon and Corpse Warehouse. <laughs> As accomplished adventurers and somewhat celestial celebrities, you're no strangers to being propositioned with business opportunities here on the Rock. It's thus no surprise when you're approached by a shadowy little man with the curious habit of licking his fingers and rubbing them through his wild, greasy black hair. In his glass, there's this thick, viscid white fluid that leaves a film on the inside of the glass as he sips. And he, he approaches each of you separately. 
He approaches you each separately uh, with a job offer, basically. Uh, the classic intro to the bar at a D&D tavern. He, the shadowy little man walks up to you and says, uh, My master seeks to hire able-bodied men of action. What is he paying? He reaches into his pouch and he pulls out a handful of diamonds. Oh, rock. <laughs> I'm in. He says, uh, I'll be in Docking Bay 91 below. Uh, we have a small freighter for you were approached, Todd. And this uh, this little man, he's probably about five foot one, mm-hmm. steps up to you, and the first thing is he knows, he's giving you a good sniff. Yeah, I know. I get it. <laughs> it's space. I get that a lot. <laughs> I'm from Massachusetts. <laughs> and you get the same offer. My master is seeking to employ able-bodied adventurers. Hey, I, 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 can, I can get on board with that. That looks like a hefty handful of diamonds. That'd buy me in. Good amount of material for the apothecary. <laughs> yeah, let's go. All right, uh, Henri, you were approached by this little man, and uh, I'm trying to like, but the women, I've got to dance with these women, and I'm trying to dance with them, but I'm like that guy who's trying to dance, and then they just don't want to. You were like, really I think they do. You're, you're grinding up on unruly girls. Oh, you're the reason that everyone in this bar is ordering angel shots. <laughs> <laughs> Totally out of town, tune with the music, but <laughs> no rhythm. Alright, fine, what do you want to the man? It says, uh, my master seeks for uh, a few able-bodied adventurers, some men of action. Oh, uh-huh. men of action! That's <laughs> what I came here for, some action, and you're interrupting. <laughs> he, uh, he says, I was told you'd want these, and he holds up a handful of diamonds. Oh. I, <laughs> I just want to see! <laughs> Look at how they glow in the light that's <laughs> shining in this club. And they do. They actually glow quite a lot. Like, almost like a miniature disco ball. Like, these are clearly cut for certain light elements to play. And, and it's also, like, not a terrestrial form of diamond. You have captured my attention. Besides, I was looking for hip-hop and not this techno crap. The <laughs> <laughs> room came up. <laughs> like I said, it's just going to be random appearances. Yeah. I can't do one. <laughs> All right, and Brevos, you were approached by this little man. Uh, Brevos is uh, leaned back in his chair. He's got his feet up on the table, and he's sort of hand-juggling a, uh, a ball of light between his fingers. When the offer gets made, and what's in it for me? Click, <laughs> There are a lot of jobs that offer diamonds, little one. What do I have to do? Uh, I, I'm not allowed to know. You just have to meet with my master. He'll tell you. Fine, fine, go, go. He sort of, like, shuffles off. This weird, creepy little man. And as the music changes to Freebird, <laughs> you find yourselves leaving the bar. The classic rock is terrible. <laughs> Alabama rock. <laughs> uh, this little man does introduce himself to you as, uh, calls himself Mr. Lovesgood. <laughs> <laughs> well, aren't we full of ourselves? <laughs> Uh, and he says that he works for uh, his master is Doctor Jambor. Not evil at all. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds totally normal. <laughs> Doctor Jambor sounds like a good guy. My dad was named Jambor. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So assuming that you all accept the offer from this weird little spooky man and don't avoid here, there be adventure. Um, he he gives you directions to this doc. That is uh, not quite underneath the Rock of Brawl, but it's certainly one of the underdocks. 
essentially the way that it works is the underside of the rock grows all sorts of like filthy algae. And it's actually what generates the oxygen envelope that the rocket ball floats in. And it's the reason you don't die of fouled air and all sorts of other problems. It's also the primary food source. It is highly illegal to go to the underside of the rock of Brawl, because if you go there, you're probably fucking up the algae farm, which means everyone in the rock is going to die. And so the royal family doesn't have very many laws. Mostly they're all hedonists. So they mostly just want to be able to drink thoroughly in peace and not have everyone fuck up their algae farms. But the uh, place that you were headed to is close to the fuck-upable algae farms. It is on the underside of the rock. The undermove. Essentially, there's a large wooden contraption of docks and levers and elevators that hangs over one side of the rock, and it actually does uh, become like tethered in underneath the rock in certain places. And uh, the docks on the undersunder, like that part there, is generally where you go if you don't want to be noticed. So it's one of the sketchy docks. And uh, you find yourselves heading down into the sketchiest parts of the sketchy docks. No fear for your life at all, because it's the Rock of Brawl, everybody cool is here, and you guys are level 12. Yeah. This is a place where if you were level 4, we'd roll for random encounters, but you don't. <laughs> we are the random encounters. You are the These are my people! <laughs> it's like Umber Holster Vine stuff. <laughs> uh, it is actually uh, the Rock of Brawl, I think I made it obvious in the flavor text, but just in case you're not familiar with it, uh, it is considered neutral ground for basically all parties. Uh, basically every space-faring race and some not-space-faring races that got duped into going to space are at the Rock of Brawl having a big fucking party, like, all the time. It's Moss Eisley, it's yeah. Nowhere, it's it's all your... You yeah. would call yeah. it a Barakanal. Yes. <laughs> but don't. <laughs> uh, but basically it is where you can go to trade, irrespective of what your race is. And so it's actually considered to be one of the few friendly places for outsiders that are known for slavery. Um, Mind Flayers, Yogi. <laughs> They actually have people dock at the Rock of Brawl and conduct business here. Um, not generally for that stock, because slavery is still illegal on the Rock of Brawl. But the cops don't really pay too much attention to the specifics. They don't like to ask questions. They're mostly here to prevent you from burning down their algae crop and from stealing the prince's boots. I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> burning algae crops and turning all his boots. <laughs> Gets the shoes in the fire. <laughs> uh, and so you are uh, sort of led down this weird network of docks and tethered pieces of wood. And there's actually at one point a rope bridge you need to cross, uh, which is really easy to do in space because there's not that much gravity. So you just put your feet on it and bustle across. You could probably even just jump it if you tried real hard, but none of you are. Well, maybe you are uh, illune enough to try that shit. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely illune. Yeah. Um, it's like gravity, and, and you're able to clearly make it, even though it's like 20 feet long. You just doing, and it's like jumping on the moon. You just jump right across. And you are led to this small cargo freighter. And it is strictly a cargo freighter. There's no spell jamming helm in here. This is a short distance puddle jumper of a spacecraft. It is uh, sort of rectangular and boxy, slightly wider in the middle. Um, got some sort of ridges on the side, like shipping crates, basically. Uh, but it's all one contained unit. It's basically just a foyer with, uh, like, a console in it. And uh, the doors are slipped up so that you can just let yourself right in. Uh, inside is uh, Mr. Loves Good, who is uh, farting around at the terminal, setting things, messing with the air conditioner. <laughs> at one point, you can see he's, like, got his face in front of one of the vents, and he's doing this. <laughs> and uh, when he sees the first... Who's the first person to arrive? Roll off. Roll off. Initiative check. Initiative check. Are we actually using our initiative? Yeah, yes. Ooh, 21. 
Oh, taint me. It sucks to be me. Seven. Nine. The naturalist of ones. Seven, you said? Really good at this. Henri, you show up. Hello, oh, my strangers of new friends. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, the French one. Yes. <laughs> yes. As it were. Yes. <laughs> I don't uh, know what France is, but it's We're, we're to- traveling totally in this? Is. This bucket? What is this? <laughs> this is, um... This is... Well, it's, it's... My master calls it the Wobbler. <laughs> Your master has terrible naming skills. <laughs> <laughs> it's true! He's like, <laughs> <laughs> I will think of something better. He, he weeps, but he, he looks at you and gives you a nod. He gestures to what looked like some fairly uncomfortable, like, padded seats with metal frames that bolted into the sides of the craft in the corners, far from the console. Um, there are actually safety belts. You notice there's no clips, but there's belts. So if you really want to, you can, like, tie it off or cinch it around your waist or whatever, but it looks like nobody's actually used these seats for anything in a while. And there's a ton of scuff marks and, like, all sorts of debris all over the floor. Like, people are moving heavy shit in and out of this thing for a while. What you would expect from a craft like this, but you have no idea what the hell it's actually been moving, because most of it's been swept up. There's just, like, random bits and scraps of projects and stuff. I've been in a prison like this in Argentina once. <laughs> Space Argentina, though. It's Argentina. Ar- Argentina. Argentina Prime. Jackson Dukes, by the time that you <laughs> arrive, uh, Henri has already settled in. And you see that this strange man is still in front of the vents. <laughs> I show up with all my belongings in like a military duffel bag. <laughs> oh yes, uh, uh, Mr. Dukes. Cool shit, bro. It's uh, it's called uh. He looks at you real quick and he goes, uh, the HMS Wobbler. Oh, wow, <laughs> that was very rich. That's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like bad, good, or good bad? I'll let you decide, little man. Where am I sitting? And he sort of gestures to these padded seats. Hi, I'm Jackson. Welcome to the box. This is the box. I have no better name for this. It's quite filthy. Yeah. I've seen a few filthy boxes in my day. <laughs> <laughs> ah, innuendo! <laughs> I love innuendo. <laughs> Continue to have the other. <laughs> I sit down and crack a beer. Good choice. <laughs> Uh, Brevos, you arrive, uh, basically right behind Jackson Dukes. You're part of this conversation as you arrive. I can feel your bulge on my hip. <laughs> I'm six feet behind you. <laughs> yup. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> your bulge entered the room three minutes before you entered the room. <laughs> Who is your master, you disgusting little man? He's the great Dr. Jambor. I wasn't supposed to say that. Is he the bad Dr. Jambor? No, no, he's very good. He feeds me. And what are you ashamed of saying his name? I was supposed to keep it a secret. Yeah. I thought we were meeting your master down here. What are you here for? We're bringing the craft to see my master. And how far away is this? Uh, a, a, a small flight. What constitutes a small flight? I don't see any helm here. That small. <laughs> it's so small we don't even have a helm. <laughs> what are you doing? in push? Well, no. I've got some buttons here. And this is the point that Todd shows up. Alright. Looks, uh... Comfy, my dude. Yeah, you know, like, everybody... (laughs) Everybody's got their own sort of, like, way to get through the world, and I really... 
respect your way, um, but I'm a little claustrophobic and like my good man Brevos over there, just really, really would love to know how long this is going to take. I've been told it's very short. <laughs> okay, but like, ah, whatever, man. Todd like <laughs> reaches into like one of the many pockets on his <laughs> robe and just sort of like pulls out a little nugget of something and pops it in his mouth and be like, oh, that should get me through. <laughs> Anybody else need a little something for the flight? A little, little homemade <laughs> salted caramel? <laughs> Jackson is, is dunking a Bud Light. He's like, no, nah, I'm good, bro. <laughs> you, you do you, bud. Put him back in my pocket. Uh, and I sit back. I would like you specifically to give me a uh, perception check. Perception check. 16 plus 8. Wow. Uh, you spot what at first you think might be your brand underneath one of the seats on the opposite side of the screen. <coughs> when you get a closer look at it, you can see that it is definitely not, in fact, Space weed. But it's instead, uh, it's sort of like a blossomy flower, a little dried, stretched mm-hmm. out. And uh, it looks like it might be like a ragweed or like a catnip or something that is underneath the seats on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. I pick it up and sniff it. It smells like catnip. Okay, okay. I pocket it for later. And uh, once you like to get a chance to settle in or whatever, uh, he goes back over to the doors and he's Brings it down like a garage door and shutters it. And he gives it a knock. And it rolls back up. He's like, shutter, shutter. Alright, we are off. We're all gonna die. And he's got this little like shuffling. <laughs> and he goes back to the terminal. He starts pushing buttons. And then uh, you can hear like some sort of scraping or screeching noise outside. And then the shutters drop down on all the windows. He pushes a button, the shutters go back up, and you can see that he's actually turned on windshield wipers. And they're just dry rubbing all over the terminal on the outside of this shipping crate. And he starts messing with other buttons. Oh, excuse me, my little friend. Do you know how to drive this thing? No! And he keeps pushing buttons. And eventually you can see, first off, the screeching stops because he found the button that sprays the windshield, which panics him. <laughs> and he sort of hides behind the console, keeps pushing buttons, turns on the turn signal, and then it starts to slowly lift off the top. <laughs> <laughs> on for like <laughs> <laughs> so trying to figure out why you need witch in space. Space bugs. <laughs> they keep ghosts from getting stuck to the windshield. Yeah, of course. Stupid uh, me. Duh, this is your first time in space. God. Uh, and the ship takes off and uh, it heads off to go to wherever you're headed, which he does not seem to have any capability of describing to you, though. Um, where you're going is apparently uh, a large asteroid that you are somewhat familiar with. Uh, and you begin to see a workshop, what you would describe as potentially maybe a workshop. The workshop, even from the outside, is both truly uh, an impressive state-of-the-art facility and a colossal garbage dump. <laughs> Built on mithril stilts, stands some 40 feet above the surface of Karak's junk dungeon and corpse warehouse. A winding spiral staircase approaches a higher level in a way that makes you picture what it would look like if a lighthouse had a skeleton and someone bolted a bunch of rusted metal garbage all over it and then put a house on top. <laughs> I should not have worn my new boots. These boots are going to get ruined in this fill hole. And the, uh, the ship docks down below a tower and he sort of ushers everyone out. 
and uh, you can see he's actually wearing like a necklace or a pendant. He's got the uh, you got the most banging perception, right? Yours is yes, really sir. Um, I do too. Your yeah, passive is like nineteen, and your passive is eighteen, I think. Sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. Right, sixteen. Here's a sixteen. The two of you see that it's a pendant. You see that he's wearing some sort of a necklace, and the necklace is uh, like a leather strap, and there's like a gold-plated hanging thing on it, and it says Cuddleby on it. <laughs> Cuddleby? Cuddle me or Cuddleby? Cuddleby. Cuddleby. Oh, I thought it was like Cuddleby. <laughs> Are we assuming this is the doctor, or is this the love good? No, this is the guy who's been piloting your craft. Mr. Mr. Feels Good. Mr. Mr. Loves Good. Mr. Loves Good. Guy drinking the cum margarita. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he docks the craft down below. And by docks it, he basically like slow motion crashes it. <laughs> it's sort of like when somebody's backing into someone else's car and doesn't realize it. It's just that like, oh don't, oh oh oh, it's worse. Uh, he's, oh still he's still going. He's still going. He's still going. You're good. You're good. <laughs> keep coming. Keep coming. And so he drops it into this like dust cloud on the asteroid. And <laughs> a bunch of it swirls up and blows away into space. And the doors get opened up. And he sort of gestures you out of the craft to the bottom of these rickety metal stairs. How long did the flight take in actuality? Uh, less than an hour. Oh, <laughs> we were all worked up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you get to the bottom of the stairs. And who, everyone's climbing them, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's got any weird though. So arriving at the top of the rickety stairs, you are ushered in by Mr. Lovesgood, where he gestures to a threadbare couch that has been divided equally in half. Perhaps for ease of transport, you're not really sure. Throughout the room hang pictures, most of them slightly crooked, and most of them depict a middle-aged man with graying hair and gold-rimmed spectacles, holding awards, who's standing next to machines, you assume this must be the doctor. Uh, the frames are quite dusty, it appears that nobody's cleaned to this place in, like, ever. Um, and there's also one that you notice that's sort of, like, in a corner behind, like, a drainage pipe, and it depicts a mind flare. Who is wearing a white lab coat and stroking a cat? I think your boss needs a new maid. This place is filthy. He looks very hurt when you say that. Who's <laughs> this gnarly dude? You're like pointing at the, the my flare. Ah, yes. Uh, that is uh, that is a doctor, a famous scientist. Right on. <laughs> and he uh, he sort of sits down and like. Gets behind like a podium type desk. It is like a secretary's desk. And he's sitting back there and he's got like a magic wand with a feather on the end. And he's just sort of like waving it and looking at the feather and watching it with bated breath. To keep himself entertained while you sit in this office. It's Levi sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's just sort of fucking around, like waving this feather and looking at it. And you're all sort of left to sit on this threadbare cut in half couch. Todd hyper focuses in on the feather, just like, sort of watching. <laughs> Is it clearly like is the couch is the couch like clearly like dusty and dirty? It's threadbare. It looks like it's I, I stand. Yeah, it's it's pretty gross and it has seating for like two and a half people, maybe. And someone has literally just like taken a chainsaw to it and cut it right down the middle. So it's sort of sunk in at this angle. I'm kind of anxious, I can't sit still. I'm just gonna keep walking around looking at all the portraits. Okay, yeah, most of them look like the same guy. It's yeah. just the, I sprawl out on the couch like I fucking own it. Well, yeah, that's spread. the famous scene. Yeah. <laughs> the famous scene, you got one knee up, one leg down, bulged. Yup, yeah. <laughs> cock and balls just everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is deplorable. <laughs> and I need to change the music. Gotta air it out, we do. <laughs> Gotta air it out. 
sweaty in space travel. It's terrible. I had to combine two songs for this. Bravo. Yeah. You kept waiting an unusually long time for an appointment, and your minder degenerates from happy host to uncomfortable observer to frantic and self-conscious train wreck over the course of that 45 minutes. During this time, he attempts to amuse himself playing desk games with his low-end magic wand tipped with a dainty white feather, or batting around a ball of red woolen yarn. To his surprise and relief, eventually the door creaks open, and you hear a voice issuing forth. All right, send them in. Straighten my jacket. <laughs> so my black first. belt a little <laughs> <laughs> Straightens his beanie. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I grab the ball of yarn that our uh, host is playing with and I throw it across the room. <laughs> he goes sprinting after it. <laughs> so I think we've determined this dude is definitely a cat. This dude some... is definitely a cat. Yeah. Petite <laughs> feline. Uh, who goes a, into the room first? Uh, what a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Henri, uh, you walk in, and uh, you see that this room is a complete disaster. It is clearly the workshop of what you would describe as a mad scientist. There are metal bits of machinery coating the floor. There are small paths where clearly he's been navigating around a central machine that appears to be uh, somewhat egg-shaped, like a large aluminum egg almost. Uh, open all the way around, there's like a framework inside, but it's closed on the top and bottom. And it's on stilts, like metal stilts that are bolted down to the ground. And you can see the bolts actually go through an underlying like surface of metal, and then bore through some piece of wood, and then bore through more metal to really like thoroughly stabilize it, even on the top of this rickety tower. You can see that there are like consoles and shelves all over different walls. Some of them have different lights or glowing mechanisms or magic implements, uh, but a lot of this looks like science. This doesn't look primarily magical. Certainly there's some of it, but it's it's mostly like stuff that actually sort of works. Did he salvage this from the Underdark? Was this 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 uh the purple worm egg? No, no, no. The uh what was that machine that we fought? Oh, oh the, the, uh, the Dark Heart. Yeah, the the the, the Modron. Yeah, yeah, the Infinity Engine. Infinity Engine, yeah. Infinity Engine. This is like his model of it. <laughs> uh, it. it has like all sorts of different moving parts and stuff. It looks like one side of this egg is perhaps partially enclosed. And there's like consoles and bits of metallic crap and wiring and stuff. And it's all cased in what you assume is probably like mithril or aluminum, some sort of thin, lightweight, shiny metal. And uh, you see that there's a hunched over man in the far corner of the room who is futzing around with maybe a screwdriver or something like that. Uh, very thin, gangly, and tall, wearing a white lab coat. And uh, when he starts to stand, you see the back of his head is like a pale purple color. And he's completely bald. And when he turns around, you see that this man is actually a mind flicker. He's got the four face tentacles. They're going all in different directions. He's holding something that he's screwing together. He's wearing a pair of gold rimmed spectacles. And he still has like a big bushy pair of white eyebrows over his eyes. This is the same mind flayer from the portrait. Uh, it certainly looks like it. Mm. Maybe slightly older. Yes, greetings. Hello, my, my good man. Doctor. Doctor Thing. Yes, Doctor. Doctor will do. <laughs> doctor, my dude. <laughs> it is good to meet you. I am Doctor Jambar, and he extends his hand. I am I am Henri. I am pleased to meet you. He gives you a I am wearing like white 
patent gloves because they're audacious. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, this is an awkward moment where after you finish the handshake, he's trying to pull his hand away and he's got like suction cup fingers. Oh. Does he keep the glove? That would be tough. <laughs> it slides off your fingers a bit. You have to fix the glove. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for answering my call and for dealing with my minion. Cuddleby loves good. <laughs> I'm sure he does, but that's not the important <laughs> right now. He's a capable cuddler. <laughs> That's not really yeah. any of our business. He does have a unique fascination with yarns and strings, but uh, we will leave that be. Ah, most of his kind. <laughs> he says, oh, that reminds me. And he looks over at a clock on the wall. He says, oh, oh that spell only lasts for four hours. And all of a sudden, from the other room, here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, Mr. Love's good. And he runs out, picks up the cat. And you people who didn't come in yet see this mind flare rush out of the room and pick up a cat. <laughs> it starts putting the cat. Okay. Uh, oh, you're good. such a good kitty. Very well. Not how I choose to treat my minions, but... This is a weird job. <laughs> yes. Anyway, thank you very much for heeding my call. I called you for a very important reason. I've hired you to kill me. Not right now. That would be terrible. No. I, this may come as some shock to you, but I have devised a great invention. It actually works. It actually works? That's the greatest invention to do! One hopes that it does. What does this invention do? Ah, this invention allows you to travel through the Flojistan. Through time. You've made a time machine. Yes, and it was a terrible mistake. And it must be undone. Bitch. But if the time machine is bad, then how are we supposed to use the bad thing to make the bad thing go away? It is very simple. I was sent backwards through time, and you will assassinate me before I invent the time machine. And then we get stuck back in time and unpaid. No, no, no. That's the best point. We, we must be paid. <laughs> Point the there. cats yeah. can't pay us if you're not here to turn the cat back to this thing. <laughs> he rubs his temples and he says, oh, it's, it's actually very simple. I guess it's... Alright, simpletons. Ah, let me think of how to describe the timeline. When you go back in time to correct for my terrible mistake, I will still be here in this timeline. And I'll be able to pull you back into my timeline. At one time, the timelines will collide. They will decay, collapse, until they are one, all again. When that happens, I will be no more, the time machine will be no more, but you will return to your proper time. You will have all of my astral diamonds. Well, all but one. I need one to feed the machine. And are we to take your word as bond? And if you take extra astral diamonds into the past with you... Uh, sure. I don't really care. This whole thing is kind of freaking me out. Why not just destroy the time machine? Because it already exists in other timelines. How do you know it was a mistake? What's already gone wrong? He says in the deep future, the galaxy is ruled by mind flayers. You're a mind flayer. Shut up! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Your mom's a mind flayer. <laughs> <laughs> An undergoing ceremorphosis. He looks at you and you're very clearly stupid, right? Mm-hmm. 
He looks over at Todd. No. Looks at Henri. Maybe. Looks over to Brevos and says, When undergoing seromorphosis, <laughs> the illithid implant a tadpole into one's brain. It is the first meal, but for truly powerful minds, a bit of personality remains. In my case, my mind was truly the most powerful, and I have retained all of my original thoughts and feelings. Except brains are delicious. <laughs> it is not. I don't feel comfortable with the way you're looking at me. He <laughs> <laughs> would lick his lips, but he doesn't have a tongue anymore. Gross. Yeah. The tentacles yeah. just make it's it like a That's okay, the cat licks his lips. <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, uh, I forgot to describe this, but it is important. Uh, mind flayers don't have a tongue, they don't have a, like a traditional vocal cord arrangement. So in order to make human sounds, two of the face tentacles go down the back of the throat and literally like maneuver the throat to force uh. sounds out. So while he's saying this in this weird German accent, it's also sort of croaky and wet. Mm. Well, that's hot. Yeah. Todd discovered a new kink. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, he starts to feel like maybe you might be on board with this after a short period of time. I want to go back in time and save the universe. I have never traveled in time. This seems exciting. And I take out my rapier and I do this like big stupid floor settings. Yeah, he's on board. What is the current exciting worth? Uh, a ridiculous, fantastical sum of wealth. Okay, so it's not like you know his his science project grow a geode in a jar project. That he's no. More importantly, he's already divulged that these crystals can power high tech machinery. So they have value beyond monetary. Yes, let's yes. cash in. He has a handful of what looks like probably around a dozen of them. And uh, astral diamonds are a very unique type of currency in D&D that are diamonds formed in the astral <laughs> sea, which is where the gods dwell. Mm-hmm. They're worth 10,000 gold per diamond. Oh! It's, it's oh. kidney stones. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This shit is worth mad back. Yeah. Ducats. Yeah, all the ducats. ducats. Every ducat in space, this is worth a lot of ducats. It's <laughs> not right, enough to like, you yeah. couldn't buy ducats. the Rock of Brawl with this, but like you could buy a mid-tier spacecraft brand new off the lot. I just want to go back in time and save the universe. Yeah, that seems fair. I just want to get paid. Fair enough. Um, Todd has a mild skepticism for mind flayers and like the concept of time travel. You know, like imbalancing the universe, I don't really know if that's a good idea, but the pull of that much money is like, you know what? I can put that on the back burner for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you could buy some primo glassware with that. Much primo. <laughs> the tallest. <laughs> some good, good cushion. <laughs> a bong so tall you have to sit on the second floor balcony just to smoke out of it. With someone else on the yeah. bong, like rip it, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bong so big it needs an artillery crew just <laughs> just to make it work. And you can afford to pay them. <laughs> A living yeah. wage with benefits. <laughs> Gravity fed. <laughs> yeah. Alright. The doctor describes his plans, and since I can't do the voice I was intending, I was going to go for Igor and then lost it. and became German <laughs> instead. Um, Master. I'm just going to try to describe... That's exactly it. I was trying to go back. <laughs> um, going to go back in time, Master. back in time. <laughs> Alright. Uh, the doctor tells you his plan. His plan says, first off, he would send you back in time to just kill him as a baby. That seems way easier. Is this Nomergon? Uh, this is actually uh, the Goblin Hotel. Wow. Yeah. Yo! <laughs> um, 
He says he can't just send you back in time to kill him as a baby because he was a rich kid and they had armed guards. But he's clearly thought about this. He, he's like, I could send you back in time to kill baby me, but we had armed guards, the likes of which are probably more effective than where I'm going to send you. Plus, trying to send you back, like, 70 years in time has a much bigger case of could be a big problem. So he says, we're going to send you back four years. That was shortly after I underwent my ceramorphosis, when I transformed into this form. He says, the idea is when I was ostracized from my people. Well, ostracized is a strong word. They were going to execute me, and I was rescued by a strike team. They weren't looking for me. They were just looking to kill mind flayers. And I was put on board a prison ship. The prison ship had a mere scattering of guards, uh, some gif hippo men. That's certainly when I'll be the most vulnerable when you can strike. It's also when there's backup plans, because if this should fail, I know exactly what happens next. A group of adventurers stumble upon this prison ship, and I'm freed. And he says, and they bring me to uh, a smuggler's moon called Kerbalang. At Kerbalang is where I find my first workshop. He says, the plan is twofold. I must be destroyed. My works must be destroyed. You must leave not a trace, because even a small piece of the body is enough to cast a ritual of raising the dead. And you must avoid my former Illithid masters. Why don't you just send me back to your workshop and I'll hide in your closet? Then when you open your closet door, I'll jump out and <laughs> kick your head off. <laughs> oh no, we have cracks. <laughs> yeah. The gesture is behind you, and something you did not notice when you walked into the room in the pile of filth is that there's an iron golem that's standing there like this, and it's like ready to punch you. <laughs> it farts poison gas. I can't be poisoned. You're lucky. Um... Yeah, he sort of gestures to that. He says, I don't have this until after I set up my first workshop. He says, if you strike me at this time, when I'm in the prison ship, I'll be helpless. If you fail to strike me during that time, you know exactly where I'll be. So you'll have your backup plan. You'll know where to go. Alright. I think this makes perfect sense. I am on board. Let's do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's, let's go, my dudes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> prison ship must be cleaner than this filth. He looks around sad and he goes, It was. <laughs> so much garbage. Lenora and your bus had a recycle. Let's go back in time and save the universe. Let's go back in time and get paid. <laughs> He says, um, he'll need a ship. And well, four years ago, I didn't have one. I know where one is going to be four years ago in this spot. Best get in the egg. <laughs> I slither <laughs> in. Oh, the egg is the time machine. <laughs> the time machine's in the egg. Oh, God. <laughs> simpletons. Why don't you just call it an egg machine? Are you sure you want to send this group back in time to destroy you? 
These shrugs, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I pop up next to Brevos and I throw my arms around her shoulder. I'm like, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Your parents must be very proud of you. <laughs> oh, I hope my dad doesn't know where I am. I'm gonna kick some general ass. <laughs> <laughs> he gestures, you have to like climb over piles of garbage to get into. It's like McDonald's bags in space and stuff. <laughs> Dunks cups. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most of them are half full with condensation around and some broken guys. I start throwing them out of the time machine and yeah. into the workshop. It's <laughs> like, hey, stop that. No. That device cleans my teeth. <laughs> you got no, noodles in your face. You don't have teeth. <laughs> it's a noodle brush. No, I've got teeth. And he does one of these and it's the most vile. Oh, come on. <laughs> <Like when> the <laughs> predator roars. <laughs> well, he's got his uh, face tentacles open and I grab like one soda cup and I whip it out. <laughs> <laughs> Being dead must be better than dead! <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, four oh, years ago. <laughs> <laughs> On a tiny vessel, and the tears is saloon. Stirring awake, a young ship captain pushes his wide-brimmed hat from over his eyes. His legs are dangling over the side of his chair. His hand crossbow on the floor, having slipped loose from his slung too low quick draw holster. He groggily rubs his eyes, scratches his groin, gets up from his chair, and walks to the mess, leaving his console completely unattended as he goes. Determined to make himself a sandwich, he's halfway through buttering his bread when you transmit yourselves into his ship and arrive in his galley. <laughs> Who the hell are you? He goes to draw a crossbow that's not there. Pulls a butter knife. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone speak? <laughs> We're here to kick ass. We come in peace. Fuck that noise. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to brandish a butter knife at you like... Can I, I, can I, can I literally just take the butter knife away Easily. from you? Oh. Yeah. Damn it, I was going to be cool. Oh, be cool, be cool, sorry. I cast Mage Hand and pulled it, I thought it was him. Spin it back around and point it at him. <laughs> when you do that, he sort of stumbles backwards, and all of a sudden there's a red flashing light. Boop, 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 boop. He goes, oh, the console, I left it on! And he tries to run back to the console. And he goes to grab his hands onto the uh, like the steering column of the console, and it comes loose in his hands. <gasps> and you see the viewfinder, it's starting to like whip through like big stony spires sticking up his ass <laughs> And it's just like chipping chunks of the ship off. And it's trying oh, to get God. control, holding a steering column that has nothing that's steering. And uh, now it's time for some actually relevant dice rolling. So we're going to start a skill challenge. It's two rounds. Mm. Now you are on board a ship as it's about to crash into the tiers of Saloon. Ah. With this ineffective captain trying mm -hmm. to steer it. Oh, goddamn. <laughs> Todd may or may not have thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, who wants to go first? Oh, uh, it's a skill challenge? It's a skill challenge. Two rounds. Uh, I'll, I I can use some perception on this. I'm going to just lean over and show like, watch out for that one. Watch out for that one. Watch out for that one. <laughs> Super helpful when he can't steer. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good die. That's, uh... This will let this loop. It's so good. Yeah, that's 19. All right, 19 is banging, then there's one success. Who wants to go next? Uh, I try and, like, run up and, like, grab the uh, the steering wheel out of his hands and cram it back into the thing. <laughs> All right, we'll be rolling for that. Acrobatics. All right, I'll, I'll let it go. Somebody with some technical know-how. That's know -how. a 23. All right, you get it jammed into place. It's not connected to anything. Somebody with technical know-how is going to have to fix that. I have no technical know-how. Who's next? I'm a dipshit. 
Mm, what would technical know-how fall under? Whatever you can justify to me with your words. Okay, okay. I could I could go next. Um, using Todd's perhaps noble background and the fact that he was enrolled in many a camp as a child, um, Todd tries to help fix the, um, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the steering, steering, steering device using um, history by recalling his knowledge of the many technological books he has read. Yeah, he went to rich kid school. I went to rich kid school. That's a 17 plus 5. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. So you actually remembered something from school. <laughs> what the hell? Despite the multiple pounds of weed. Uh, Whoa, wait, wait. You went to a rich kid school, not a vocational school. <laughs> that is true. This is complex engineering. We don't know where Todd's from. Oh, no, this was an engineering camp uh, that Todd's camp. parents sent camp. him to. You, ah. you literally went to space camp. I went to space camp. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> Alright, what does Henri have to add to this? I uh, go up go up behind this frazzled man trying to steer the ship. And I put a hand on his shoulder. Say, My friend, it is all okay. You just need to focus. Be one with the machine. You can do this. Pay no attention to the noise around you. Focus on what you're doing, and you will you will succeed and steer us through this calamity. And I'm using my persuasion. Alright, trying to help. Very soothingly voiced. Like right by his ear. Careless whisper. Crit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right, uh, Kay. I need a Constitution saving throw from you, real quick. Cool. This is gonna end well. Yeah. No. Oh. Oh. That's the opposite of a crit. Oh. So the old crit and shit. The, the old, old crit and shit. <laughs> and so what happens is you get him to focus, and he's like. <laughs> All right, listen, Karak, you got this. And he starts trying to pull up, and it's starting to, like, slowly cut away. And all of a sudden, you hear, click, 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 grind, and something is clearly stuck inside of a turbine. You realize at this moment, you lost concentration on your mage hand, and the butter knife went right into the vents. Oh! <laughs> and as this happens, one of the engines blows, shoots fire into the back cabin. And he panics. One more round. Okay. It starts going down again. Mm. Oh, I know what I'm gonna do. Then do it. I do the slap, classic uh, slap him across the face. Get it together, man! <laughs> Alright. That's a 20. Not That's that huge. Alright, yeah. You slap him and he like turns back. Oh god, oh god, oh god, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die. <laughs> Even me. <laughs> we had him all relaxed and we had to go slap him. Yeah, he's paying attention now, isn't he? He was paying attention before you threw a knife in the engine. <laughs> I didn't throw it, it fell. <laughs> Alright, who's got it next? I'm gonna do something stupid. Alright. I'm going to the, the prow of the ship. Okay. Don't worry, I've got this. Alright. And I'm going to use endurance and just beat the rocks away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lighting up my fist. <laughs> and I'm punching rocks. <laughs> Alright, give me that roll. <laughs> and that's a one. <laughs> and that is how one spell jams. Um, the consequence of that is obvious. Yes, I get hurt a lot. You take 2d10 damage from smashing in the face with rocks. Yeah, yeah, that's that's appropriate. That checks, right? Yeah. Uh, it's that only tracks. 16. Just 16 points. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> I'm okay! It doesn't help at all. No, well, I mean, it does a little bit, because there's like... Minox and shit or whatever, and like 
you're like blasting birds or whatever. All of a sudden, the first like stone pillar shows up, <laughs> and you go to blast it, and just nothing happens. Yeah. And he drives right through it, and you just eat it in the face. <laughs> High speed pillar of stone blasts into you. <laughs> but you're also a 1980s spell jammer neon monk. Yeah. Who's also guile. Yeah. So <laughs> So I turn around and give you the thumbs up. We're good. There's a little, like, twinkle <laughs> on the side of your mouth. You've got, like, stones embedded in your face. Yeah, missing a tooth. <laughs> All set. <laughs> Alright, who's next? As a reminder, the cabin in the back is on fire at this point, and the engine is blown. Is the ship kind of out of control, too? Uh, you feel like you might still be able to fix this problem, but if you don't, it's certainly going to crash. Todd! <laughs> um, this, oh god, this might not even work. So, in Todd's many parents sending him away to camp so that he wasn't in the house type of things, um, he's got a pretty high level of uh, survival, so he's going to try to take a look at the fire and see if he can figure out how to put it out or see if there's a fire extinguisher Try to, like, control the fire? Yeah, like, control the fire, you know, so that we all don't go down in that type of <laughs> blazing glory. Um, so I'm gonna roll survival to try to put out the fire. Alright, I will let it roll. 14 plus 8 is a 22. That's pretty good. You don't need yeah. to extinguish the fire with survival, but you can at least prevent it from spreading the way you would like a forest fire. And so at this point, Only just the back, the back half of the ship, including that engine, is currently cooking, but the rest of the ship is okay. Todd just turns into a bear. Henri. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fire. What do you have in your bag of tricks, Henri? I have no idea. I'm stumped as to what's going on and what to do. Um, Whatever the stupidest idea you have is probably the best. Uh-huh. That's really easy. You've got an intelligence debate. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> so do most of us. <laughs> That was the problem with the last Spelljammer party, too. Yeah. Excuse you, I went to private school. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, 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 <laughs> so what is going on right now? The uh, one, like, corner of the ship is on fire. Okay. One of the engines is blown out. Okay. Uh, Karak is desperately steering the ship, terrified of Brevos right now. And there's a butter knife in the turbine. Okay. This is the dude that crashed the ship into the asteroid. Um, Jesus Christ. I guess I'll just try to help put the fire out. Alright. Um, little man. I guess survival again, I don't know. Cool. Twelve. Alright. Uh, you're gonna get a little fire damage, but you are gonna help extinguish. Fire damage isn't so bad. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so twelve fire damage. Refinery. How much? Twelve. And uh, the way I'm positioning <laughs> this is, is not so much that you get burnt, it's that you have to take off that swell-ass coat you guys. And your coat is uh, now sporting a couple, um, we'll call them aerodynamics holes. Speed holes. Speed holes. Yeah. Holes, yeah. the car go faster. Easy access holes. But the car is you, and you're now more aerodynamic. <laughs> but you're also a little smoky. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you've successfully completed Bad Moon. Um, you, you actually do manage to successfully extinguish the fire. You don't put out the turbine. So the turbine that contains a butter knife eventually crumbles and cracks away and falls onto the surface of this asteroid. Half of the ship is roughly intact, and, uh, well, it is a safe journey at this point, safe fish. Uh, because it's only got an engine on one side, it's sort of wobbling and spinning as it goes through space. Those of you who have motion sickness feel it enormously. 
Todd feels Those of it. you who don't still feel a little emotions. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad. Uh, but Kerouac successfully gains control of his craft. And he's, uh, he sits back in his captain's chair. And he goes to lean back, and you realize that he's still got the peg stuck under the chair. Mm-hmm. So it's got the, so the, the seat back won't move. <laughs> and he goes to lean back, and you hear his spine like, oh, ow. Hey, who are you guys? <laughs> what up, my dude? I'm the kind and benevolent Todd. <laughs> I thanks for not making my ship worse. Who? What? What are you doing? How did you get here? It's a long story, and I don't understand most of it. Who is the smart one? Todd touches his finger to his nose. And <laughs> <so he knows>. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Bravo Set. I've been sent here now, and you may not believe this because of your um, limited capabilities, but I've been sent from the future along with my cohorts. <laughs> uh, We're taking control of your ship, and you will be bringing us to our destination. Give me a persuasion roll for two reasons. One is because I want to know if he believes your story, and two, because I want to know if you actually gain a ship out of fight. Eleven. He's like, oh, whoa, whoa, listen, listen, future you. I'm current me, and this is my ship. You will be rewarded handsomely for your services. I would hope so. The Star Cutter doesn't work for free. Are you familiar with Astral Diamonds? No. More money than you could possibly imagine doing what, well, whatever it is you do. You will be As you look around, by the way, during that scene, like the camera catches, there's a crusty sock in one of the lamps. Oh. <laughs> we didn't take any of these diamonds with us, right? We weren't given any. Uh, he gave one. He, he passed out one of each, mm-hmm. one to each of you before you left. I pull one out of my pocket and hold it in front of his face. You guys like reach for it? Nope. Yes. Mustn't touch. You will get what you are due in due time, should you survive. Should I survive? Don't worry. My companions, cohorts, and I are all here to, um, well, to make good use of you. He looks very panicked and looks to the rest of you for help. Oh, she, d- 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 don't listen to this one. He's very, he's overdramatic. We only need a lift. We just need a quick ride to where we're going and then you can be on your way and we'll give you one of these little bottles for your trouble. His eyes wide. Where do you need to go? Um, do we know the name of this place? It's a slave ship, right? Yes, he gave you some details. Uh, it is not in this crystal sphere. It is beyond the Flojistan. Are you familiar with Spelljammer? I've been listening to the campaign, so okay. I understand the concept that, like, the Flojistan is essentially what space is. It's like that yeah. weird fifth element that's like, not and whatever. Yes. And you go between the spheres to... Yes, to so the sphere adventure. is the solar system, <laughs> and outside of the solar system is the Flojistan, which is this highly flammable, like, gas or fluid. Nobody's really sure what the hell it is. And then you go through it like a river, like flows, mm-hmm. to get to another crystal sphere, which is another solar system. Uh, it's it's the settings version of hyperspace. Yeah. Um, it takes a couple Fantasy days. Fantasy space. Yeah. And uh, when, like, if you give him where he's supposed to go as information, he sort of pales. He's actually panicked as hell. Oh, let's give me the pizza. Well, the zombie. Uh, you are here now in the uh, in the pilot's compartment with Karak. The legendary man who flew into an asteroid like an idiot. A dipship. Yeah. 
You're gonna have to change the name of this place. I hope we never meet that Karak. You guys sound like an asshole. Well, you are on board his ship, and uh, you've now explained to him that you are from the future, or at least Brevos has. We're not necessarily sure if he believes that 100%, but he's starting to put some pieces together and realize this might be a real thing. And this might not be just a total crazy coup or whatever. Mm. But he's steering the well, ship. that too. Yeah, well. <laughs> he's steering the ship. He's obviously a little anxious, overworked, terrified, exhausted. And when you tell him that your destination is through the Phlogiston in a different crystal sphere, panic sets in. He goes pale, he gets clammy, he starts to sweat. What's the matter, my guy? You look pretty upset. The Phlogiston is not for... This is DM me, not Karak speaking. Mm. The Phlogiston is not for low-level pilots. It's scary fucking business for somebody who's an amateur or a chump. Karak is both of those things. (laughs) He's like, I'm not scared, you're scared. (laughs) No. Ah. Yes, you are, I saw it. No, I am a little bit, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little scared. <laughs> Future belongs to the brave. You must be brave. We will be with you. We will We will all take this journey together. That's right. I, where's my crossbow? God damn it, I'm always losing that crossbow. Probably in the kitchen. He looks down under the <laughs> seats and like starts checking the cushions and stuff. And then he sees it off in the corner, and he goes to go get it, and his butt hits the console, and he turns the ship, and it starts steering off in a different direction. Oh, Jesus. You're a very clumsy man for a pilot. I am the best pilot that this sphere has ever known. Prove it. Must be a small sphere. <laughs> wow. First off, shut up. <laughs> this is my ship. You're on my ship. This is my ship. I run it. And... You're welcome to sleep in the crew quarters... That fell to the asteroid about 100 million miles that way. <laughs> and, uh, Karak, is it? Yes! Can you do basic math? And how basic are we talking? <laughs> I mean, is four a bigger number than one? Yes. Look around you, boy. I count five. There's four of us and one of you. There is no need to be threatened in this poor man. He's here to help us. Aren't you here to help us? I... Okay. You're getting paid, right? Yes. Of course you are. Okay. Eventually. Uh, if you survive. We have, we have these sparklies. We will give you a sparkly. Very valuable, these sparklies. Guys, I could just sunbeam them off the ship if this is a problem. <laughs> we have come here because we've heard you're such a fantastic pilot. I'm the finest pilot in the Crystal Sphere. You're the only one who can get us to our destination. That's true. And we are and here to save the universe. In the future, you're famous and they name a shipyard after you. They name a shipyard after me? Yeah. Or oh, a warehouse, I forget. Either way, your name's on something. <laughs> My name's on something. I knew it. I knew I always make it. Thank you, space future man. Yeah, you're totally welcome. <laughs> Let's go to the Flojistan. Henri, I believe that you should be a co-pilot of our new friend. Yes, we will do this together. You just tell me what to do, because I've never flown the ship before. Get in the co-pilot seat, my friend. You're about to witness the greatest pilot that ever lived. (laughs) Oh, hang on, you guys have to fix the steering wheel. (laughs)